Hello and a very good morning to you. Thank you for joining our discussion today. Prevention is better than cure. We've heard it said so many times and yet often we think of cancer as incurable. It accounts for so many deaths across Europe every year. Yet certain cancers are to some degree preventative and the category we're going to discuss today falls clearly into that. We're going to talk about digestive cancers and the possibilities for turning the tide through prevention. Today's event is organised by the European United Gastroenterology on behalf of the MEP Digestive Health Group, which is a cross-party platform of members of the European Parliament who are working across different member states to act as the voice for digestive health in Europe and in the European Parliament. So in light of this, and of course, the rollout of Europe's beating cancer plan, we're going to discuss the current challenges and potential policy opportunities in cancer prevention. Now, we're going to have some opening words of welcome from one of our MEPs, as well as hearing a keynote address from the European Commissioner for Health and Food Safety, Stella Kyriakides. So without any further ado, let us hear from Antonio Tajani, EPP, MEP and Chair of the MEP Digestive Health Group. Dear colleagues, ladies and gentlemen, as Chair of the Digestive Health Group with the European Parliament, I thank you for joining to this very important meeting. Last year, we launched the Digestive Health Group. It's a cross-party platform with supporters from different member states. We are all committed to ensure that Digestive Health remains an integral part of the EU Health Agenda. This platform aims to unify our efforts and coordinate our actions. The debate will focus on the prevention of digestive cancers. Digestive cancers are responsible for over 300,000 deaths per year in the European Union. Half of all cancers could be prevented by addressing unhealthy lifestyles. This is what we must work on, starting with young people. Doing sport, health and nutrition are crucial for our health. Disease prevention is a key public health responsibility and it should be our priority. On the 16th February, the European Parliament approved the Euro's Beating Cancer Plan. It's a first step in the right direction. I welcome the Commission's focus on this. However, there is still a long way to go. The next years are crucial. I look forward to the outcomes of today's discussions. I am sure that we can bring changes for digestive health. Thank you. I'm certainly hopeful that today's discussion will take us further along that path, indeed, about looking at prevention. We're also now we're going to hear from the Commissioner for Health, from the European Commissioner, Stella Kyriakides, who is a driving force behind Europe's beating cancer plan, and I know something that is very close to her heart. So thank you very much, for Commissioner. Let's check out the video. Honourable Members of the Parliament, Members of United European Gastroenterology, ladies and gentlemen, European cooperation and collaboration are the most effective tools we have to protect our citizens' health. We are stronger, more effective and more resilient when we stand together, as EU policymakers, as health professionals and as patient groups. This is what allows you, us, to make a concrete difference to people, to families and to health systems across the EU. So I am delighted to be part of today's important discussion. 
And I want to thank the MEP Digestive Health Group and United European Gastroenterology for promoting digestive health, for working towards the prevention of digestive diseases and for advocating for the advancement and equal access to treatments to help improve patient outcomes. Europe's Beating Cancer Plan embodies this spirit of collaboration and I would like to share some highlights with you. Prevention is at the very centre of the Cancer Plan and I want to recognise the important work you have done on healthy lifestyles and diet. Building on your work, I want to assure you that the promotion of healthy lifestyles will be expanded across all areas of EU policymaking. We will update the European Code Against Cancer and are working on the development of the EU mobile app for cancer prevention. I also want to highlight the European Commission initiative on colorectal cancer, which aims to improve colorectal cancer prevention and care and to support healthcare providers. On secondary prevention, the new EU-supported cancer screening scheme will help to ensure that 90% of the EU population who qualified for colorectal cancer screening are offered screening by 2025. And we are now discussing with Member States the proposal for the update of the Council recommendation on cancer screening. This will consider colorectal cancer and gastric cancer screening. On treatment, the Pharmaceutical Strategy for Europe gives us a chance to improve our system with strong stakeholder involvement. The Cancer Diagnostic and Treatment for All initiative will help to define high-risk populations for rare digestive cancers and the early detection of cancers for which screening is difficult, such as pancreatic cancer. With the Cancer Inequalities Registry, we aim for a more equal access to cancer screening and to treatment innovations. The registry will allow each member state to better understand their weaknesses and strengths in cancer prevention and care, knowledge gaps and patients' needs. This is an important step towards ensuring that everyone can access the same prevention, treatment and care, no matter where they live within the Union. The financial support our EU for Health programme brings to our cancer plan with over 1 billion euro available for this purpose will allow us to continue delivering concrete action for patients. Ladies and gentlemen, we are stronger together. Thanks to your expertise, your determination and your energy. So I want to finish by expressing my appreciation to the United European Gastroenterology and the MEP Digestive Health Group for shining a spotlight on digestive cancers and for ensuring the cooperation of medical professionals, patient advocates and policymakers. I wish your meeting every success. Thank you. And we do indeed greatly appreciate the Commissioner taking time to record that special message for us with a focus on today's topic. We're going to now introduce you to our great panellists. We'll have a discussion on for the next hour or so. So please do use the chat function on the screen to ask the questions to our panellists. We're going to be talking about the existing challenges and policy opportunities for prevention. Of course, touching on the Europe's Beating Cancer Plan and what the opportunities are there 
acknowledging existing challenges and knowledge gaps as well as unmet patient needs and also the different methods for primary and secondary prevention. So I am delighted to introduce you to our panel. We have Patrizia Bura, the UEG Public Affairs Committee Chair. We also have Kieran Nicol, who is Head of Health and Society Unit in the European Commission's Joint Research Centre, Directorate for Health, Consumers and Reference Materials. Joining us as well from the European Parliament, we have MEP Sarah Tjerdas, who is from the S&D Group and also Vice Chair of DHG. Luigi Ricciardiello is the UEG Research Committee Chair and Jorana Maravich is CEO of Digestive Cancers Europe. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Patricia, I won't delay any longer. I'll give the floor to you to tell us a bit about why action is needed. Really set out the scene for us for today's discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer, for the nice introduction. I think I will have the first slide. Um, so I can start. Yes, thank you. So as was already said, what is UEG, first of all, uh, we would like to introduce ourselves. It was already said that, that it means uh, United European Gastroenterology. And uh, our aim is uh, to uh, lead uh, 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 a non-profit organization for excellence in, in uh, digestive health in Europe. And uh, uh, there are different steps that, that we go forward uh, as an action. We would like really to have uh, uh, a, a unique voice. And I think uh, what uh, uh, Dr. Stella Kiriaki uh, has said, that we are really uh, stronger when we are together. So I think that is a very strong, very nice message. And uh, we, will, we are working on improving the prevention and the care of digestive diseases in, in Europe. And today we are discussing in particular about the chronic disease and about the cancer. Uh, we are really very much uh, uh, working on education, uh, we are supporting research and, and uh, uh, Professor Richard Yellow will, will tell us about that and also advancing clinical uh, standards. Uh, about the numbers, as you can see in the slides, we unite over uh, 50,000 uh, professionals uh, from different uh, national and, and also specialist societies. And we also involve uh, individual digestive health experts, uh, but also uh, scientists from all the fields that are covering uh, GI, including uh, the upper GI, the lower GI, the liver and, and biliary tract and the pancreas. So this is really our uh, the, 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 the description of the aim and the structure of our society. If I may have the next slide, please. Thank you. In here, so why action is needed in terms of digestive cancers? Uh, we already had some 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 uh, words about that, because Europe accounts for at least a quarter of all cancers uh, cases worldwide, and uh, the rates uh, uh, are going to 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 be even more uh, um, and increase by more than 24 percent by 2035. This is uh, the prediction, unfortunately. And uh, still, uh, as uh, Dr. Tajani said, uh, digestive cancers are the leading cause of cancer-related mortality uh, in Europe uh, with over 350,000 deaths uh, every year. From uh, together, we have colorectal cancer, gastric cancer, pancreatic cancer, and, 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 liver, uh, and liver cancers. Um, so I think if we look at uh, the slide, you see the number for four major organs that we are dealing with. And actually, there I can I can suggest to you if you wish to read our position paper where we reported recently all these data on the cancers. So, so we have the gastric cancers that is going to rise, 
and uh, the stronger association is with the infection of uh, Helicobacter pylori. So uh, talking about the preventable, as, as, as uh, Jennifer said, the preventable is really to treat uh, the uh, Helicobacter pylori infection. Uh, for the colorectal cancer, uh, um, uh, Professor Richardiel is actually a, an expert uh, uh, in Europe uh, regarding the colorectal cancer and the prevention, so we can perform really the screening uh, to uh, have a, a better and earlier detection of, uh, of the lesions to prevent death, as you can see, more than 150,000 deaths every year. Uh, for the liver cancer, we have still uh, huge numbers of uh, 78,000 deaths in Europe. We have different liver cancers, it's hepatocellular carcinoma, cholangiocarcinoma, some other rare uh, cancers, but overall really they represent one of the highest uh, cause of death in, uh, for cancer in Europe. And then we have the pancreatic cancer, and you probably know that pancreatic cancer is associated with a very, unfortunately, very low uh, probability of survival. Uh, when it is uh, diagnosed, because it's, uh, the diagnosis is usually made very late, 80% of the cases are really made uh, a late diagnosis, and the mortality in this case is really absolutely very high. Uh, the next slide. So the second uh, second question is uh, uh, what action is needed for prevent for the prevention of the, uh, digestive cancers. Uh, surely, uh, uh, as was said and alluded to in the introduction, uh, digestive cancer are at least uh, uh, partially preventable. And uh, uh, Antonio Tajani was already mentioning the changing in, in, in the lifestyle to prevent some cancers, which is absolutely true. So what do we do at the UAG? Uh, uh, we strongly call for increased public awareness, I think is our, our uh, aim. Uh, the member states must renew their support of awareness campaigns and public health interventions across the EU, different countries. And that's uh, again in line with, uh, uh, with the chair, uh, uh, Antonio Tajani, we really need to uh, encourage positive lifestyle uh, changes. And which are the, the changes that we really can support and we can actually uh, uh, develop. Uh, surely uh, one of the major issues related to the ultra-processed foods and to the fast foods. And uh, so we really need uh, to work on the uh, reducing the production of ultra-processed food, um, but working even more uh, with the generation, with the young generation, on the consumption of those foods uh, together with alcohol, uh, together with uh, uh, some other unhealthy, let's say, products. Uh, we need, therefore, education on smoking, education on alcohol consumption, education on processed food, and the consumers should also be well informed about the content of, uh, of a different uh, uh, um, alcohol beverage or even the food that they are, they are eating, and we need to have a pack nutrition labeling in all these uh, products. And this is what has been uh, recently announced by the uh, Eurosubbiting Cancer Plan. So that's just to, to say a few words in response to the upcoming revision of the Council recommendation on cancer screening. Uh, as I alluded to before, we have uh, uh, recently issued a position paper, and you will find a disposition paper with a recommendation about uh, the prevention, in particular for the four kind of cancer that uh, we are looking forward uh, for uh, reducing uh, the impact on uh, morbidity and mortality across Europe. Uh, which are gastric cancer, colorectal cancer, liver cancer, and pancreatic cancer. 
So finally, the next slide, uh, I would like to, uh, before uh, uh, concluding my, uh, my presentation, uh, I think we all need uh, to uh, raise awareness. And uh, this is the month, uh, May is the month that UAG dedicates to uh, the Digestive Health Month, where we dedicate to the, uh, raising the awareness on Digestive Health. So we invite all of you uh, to join us and to visit our dedicated webpage and join the discussion on the social media. And I think this is uh, uh, surely one way that we have all together and again, uh, stay together, make us stronger, as uh, was said uh, at the beginning. And I think I will leave you with this uh, final message and I would like to thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much, Patricia, and for those slides as well. Um, I'm sure we'll make it possible for our audience to see them if they want to have a look at them later as well. Um, Kieran, let me turn to you. We know, of course, that the uh, Joint Research Centre is a huge mandate and covers so many things, but tell us a bit about the JRC's contribution to Europe's Beating Cancer Plan specifically. Thank you, uh, Jennifer. It'll be my pleasure to do so. And uh, yeah, good afternoon, at least from Italy, Central European time, to all attendees. And it's a pleasure. First of all, compliments to the organizers for this event and indeed stronger together. And I, I want to give you, first of all, some insights to what's, as to what's happening within the commission. I can tell you that the commission is united like never before when it comes to tackling cancer. The design of the Europe's Beating Cancer Plan together with the Mission on Cancer has been done in tandem. And recently we launched the new Knowledge Center on Cancer, which fosters scientific and technical alignment on all EC-related activities on cancer. So for the first time ever, the Commission has its own in-house capacities to tackle this uh, in a holistic way. And we're talking about improving minimum standards. So the Knowledge Centre on Cancer is built upon a number of pillars. And let's go to the first one, which relates to digestive cancers. Uh, Commissioner Kyriakides mentioned the new European Commission Initiative on Colorectal Cancer. It has begun. We're working on it already. Basically, what that is, is we're producing uh, essential standards, what we call European guidelines, and quality assurance scheme for implementing those guidelines in the member states of the European Union. So if we don't have implementation, we don't have impact. So basically, these guidelines will be tailored to member states, uh, member states and it will cover the whole paradigm from screening, diagnosis, treatment, post-treatment, psychosocial care, palliative care, etc., the whole pathway. So basically, that will be available by 2025, uh, together with the cervical cancer guidelines. By the way, you may know that we've already provided them for breast cancer, and they are now being piloted in member states. So the days of producing probably the world's best guidelines is over in terms of we're going to bring it a bit further. In, in terms of implementation, we need to implement. If we don't implement, we won't have impact, and that's a key issue. Uh, so basically, we're all united in tackling that, and one. Uh, let's say when it comes to colorectal cancer, one golden opportunity you've seen in the slide uh, that it's, it's number two, number three in Europe, colorectal cancer. Why number two, number three? You catch the stage one, survival is 90%. Uh, screening, it's non-invasive, fecal immunological testing. So we are in collaboration with the International Federation of Clinical Chemistry looking into this to see how we can make uh, non-invasive screening much more regular, catch those cancers early and the numbers will come down. It should not be so high and this we will tackle. Just to add a few more words uh, about what we have as well within the Commission, we also have the European Cancer Information System. This is the system for monitoring and for projecting the burden of cancer in Europe. Uh, 
Uh, you may have seen in the chatter that Anna has posted these links, so I won't go into too much detail. Now, this system is going to grow and expand. We're going to unleash the power of this data. We're going to geoposition the data. We're going to add treatment and staging variables. By the way, when we geoposition it, we're going to start linking to other determinants like radon exposure, lung cancer, et cetera, et cetera. Behavioral aspects, really important for digestive cancers. Lifestyle behavior. That brings me on to the next uh, activity we have, the Knowledge Gateway. That's the next link in your chat. And there we have a, a reference source for public uh, and for policymakers in Europe on how to reduce the risk of getting cancers, these main big killers. Uh, fruit and vegetable consumption every day, at least 400 grams, drink plenty of water, no smoking, limited alcohol reduction, regular sleep. It's all there, but these are best practices, again, designed with and for the member states. We just need to implement them more. The latest kid on the block is the European Cancer Inequalities Registry, again mentioned by our commissioner in her speech. This registry is not about naming and shaming. No way. It's about showing how unacceptable the differences are when it comes to cancer incidence and mortality rates and beyond. And again, there we're looking at socioeconomic aspects, educational aspects. We'll be looking at demographics, et cetera, et cetera. To do so will trigger the political action we need to address those differences. Uh, basically, we have the best practices available. And then through EU funding, we can channel uh, and address those areas to bring up these essential standards I talked about. So yeah, I think the, the news is positive. In the Commission, we have these systems built, designed for the member states, because ultimately, we support the member states of the European Union and beyond. And uh, yeah, the time is right and the time is now. But the key message is, implementation now we we know what to do we know how to do it we just need to go and do it and to monitor it and to show that it works this will be the key to changing the tide of this formidable disease called cancer thank you very much back to you jennifer Thank you, Kieran. Indeed, as you said, please do check out that chat. We have put those links in there so people can read them at their leisure. Um, turning now back to the European Parliament, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, tell us what you're working on. Tell us the whole ethos of the group and, and why it's so important. Yeah, thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Such a pleasure to be here uh, to discuss the Europe's Beating Cancer Fund, more specifically in GI uh, cancers and new opportunities for intervention. So allow me to start with uh, the evidence that's uh, what guides us in our work, which does not let us forget that cancer prevention, although still underrated, needs to be taken seriously as it is what allows for a positive feedback in regards to health outcomes and better chances for morbidity and, of course, lower mortality. So Europe's Beating Cancer Plan, which uh, we have developed through a year in the Special Committee on Beating Cancer, BECA, this uh, plan, uh, the report that came out from the Parliament, reinforces new opportunities for prevention, but implementation will be key because globally one in six deaths due to cancer and 20 million people are diagnosed with cancer every year. And this is also a clear um, image of the lack of action, especially on prevention before the settling of disease, because 30 to 50% of all cancer burden is preventable through lifestyle and nutritional risk factors. But when we talk about the preventative nature of some cancers, we must also address the social, economic and environmental determinants of health. So 
the, the, the Parliament's uh, position through the Becker's plan also states that we need to tackle unhealthy diets. In a world where more than 3 billion people cannot afford to consume a healthy diet and food insecurity is also a European problem, we need to consider issues such as quality of the fat, red and processed meat, and dialogue and strengthen um, this evidence in regards to what the industry has to offer in order for them to reduce sodium, sugar and eliminate trans fats. We have also taken some really interesting steps on the farm to fork strategy and the zero pollution ambition, but we need to fight more and we need to fight disinformation and give tools to citizens to make better and healthier choices and have a better lifestyle. And this is done through health literacy. We must also discuss country level justice strategies to improve health literacy and to promote behavioral changes uh, with better action and campaigns. Another preventative point of action that we need to address is on the risk factors for cancer that are already known. Currently, we don't know 50% uh, of the risk factors for, for cancer, but the other half is very well established. And these are tobacco, for instance, and alcohol, which accounts for approximately seven, uh, 750,000 cancer uh, cases every year. So Europe's Beating Cancer Plan strongly supports the goal of a tobacco-free generation, aiming for less than 5% of the population to use tobacco by 2040, when compared to the 25% of today. Another point that I would like to highlight from the plan is to support the recommendation by the Conquering Cancer Mission Board to establish a research program tasked with identifying effective cancer prevention strategies and methods in regards to commercial determinants of health and exposure to occupational carcinogens. So uh, just to finish briefly my intervention, and despite, despite all the ambition, ambitious points um, in the plan, implementation will be the true key to have uh, these this points addressed. And it is crucial to assess and reevaluate implementation strategies across member states to ensure that Europe's Beating Cancer Plan reaches its full potential when it comes to prevention, namely in uh, digestive cancers, whose prevalence is quite worrisome in many regions. Thank you very much again for the invitation and for being here today. Thank you very much, Sarah, uh, for joining us. And we're going to talk now, Luigi, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the research gaps and the side of things that we need to do more on, because it's not just about policy, as Patrizia mentioned. There are things like screening and so forth that we maybe need to focus on as well. So give us your perspective from the point of view of the research committee. And you're on mute, if we can just... No, we don't hear you. We can see you, but if you keep going, hopefully we will be able to get you connected. Can we try again? I'm looking for signals here to see if we can get you connected. Uh, Luigi, what we'll do is we'll move on to Zorana and come back to you, and hopefully you can play around with the settings and, and we'll get back to you. Uh, Zorana, tell us, I know you're going to focus a bit more on patients on met needs, so I'll hand the floor over to you. And also on mute, unfortunately. 
can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, perfectly. So thank you, Jennifer, for the introduction. And I would like to thank uh, UEG and also uh, the organizers of this meeting for giving me the opportunity to present today the view of the digestive cancer community. Uh, unfortunately, as you have seen from the previous speakers, we are the largest, uh, largest cancer community. Uh, and also uh, we have uh, 300 to 400,000 people that die each year. So about the organization that I represent, I'm here on behalf of the Digestive Cancers Europe, which is European umbrella organization with 40 national member organizations coming from around WHO region Europe. Uh, and we represent the, the families of those that are diagnosed with digestive cancers that uh, have survived digestive cancers, but also uh, those that uh, die because of the digestive cancers uh, and also their family members and carers. So about what we do in order to fight digestive cancers. So uh, at DICE, uh, similar to UEG, we also have numerous awareness raising opportunities during the year. Uh, because we feel it's really important to constantly educate general population and to improve uh, awareness and knowledge on digestive cancer. So we have March, which is uh, European Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, April is Esophageal Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, October is Liver Cancer Awareness Month. And then November is Gastric Cancer Awareness Month with a World, um, World uh, Pancreatic Day in November. We also run surveys for patients because we feel it's important that we understand uh, what, what is the burden of living with the disease, but also uh, we feel it's also equally important to run the surveys with the general population in order to understand what motivates somebody uh, to, to do screening or to uh, change their lifestyle. Because I believe a study uh, done in the U.S. showed that even though uh, general public is aware of, uh, you know, what is good life, what are good lifestyle choices, still only 30% of them act and change the lifestyle. So I think it's really we have to work to to modify uh, uh, to to modify our approach, the communication, and also to understand what is it that motivates the general public. Overall, overall to act. Uh, we also issue a lot of position papers, uh, roadmap for prevention and colorectal uh, cancer. Uh, then we have the roadmap for the gastric and esophageal cancer, liver cancer white paper. And later this year, we will publish the pancreatic cancer white paper. And just when it comes to, to prevention uh, and uh, both primary and secondary prevention, Yes, as I said, education is very important uh, and we need to, we believe that we should uh, all work together. I, I think that this was well said by, by previous speakers that we should all be working together. And also as MEP Tayhani said, a lot of work is ahead of us. Colorectal cancer, uh, currently there are far too many deaths, far too many citizens are dying from colorectal cancer. Uh, and I think it's important to know that in some countries they have managed to uh, to diagnose almost 50% of their patients in stage one. And this is the stage 
in which a patient, if they are diagnosed in this stage, they have 90% chances of survival. Unfortunately, across Europe, currently only 15% of patients are diagnosed in stage one. And not to mention the, the benefits in survival, there are huge also benefits when it comes to money because it is 10 times more expensive to treat a patient in stage four in comparison to stage one. So when it comes to colorectal cancer, let's roll out formal population screening programs across Europe and let's aim to diagnose 50% of colorectal cancers in stage one across Europe. When it comes to gastric cancer, uh, I believe that 90% of uh, cases uh, come because of Helicobacter pylori. So we need to, uh, to perform screening in high-risk population, uh, such as the population of uh, Eastern Europe countries and also Portugal. Uh, liver cancer is a cancer that is unfortunately very often diagnosed late. But we also know what is the high-risk population for liver cancer. And these are the patients with viral hepatitis. These are the patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And these are uh, the patients uh, who chronically abuse alcohol. So I think this is the population that we should go to and aim to detect, systematically detect liver cancer at the early stage. When it comes to pancreatic cancer, I couldn't agree more with, I believe, uh, Professor Richard Yellow, we talk about more research is needed because currently we cannot diagnose pancreatic cancer at an early stage, uh, and 80% of patients are diagnosed uh, at the latest stage when they have less than 10% five-year overall survival. So we need new uh, effective ways of screening and early detection for pancreatic cancer, but also there is something we can do, which is to monitor those people that have high risk of developing pancreatic cancer, such as those that have family members with pancreatic cancer, uh, those that have uh, some, um, uh, some lesions in the pancreas or chronic hepatitis. So uh, yes, a lot of work is ahead of us, uh, but together we can uh, do more. And I'm really hopeful that with all the initiatives that are done by, by the European Commission, we will see fewer people suffering from digestive cancers in future. Thank you. Thank you, Zorana. Indeed, we do hope so as well. And you were mentioning research. So Luigi, I think we've ironed out our small difficulties and we can hear you now. So over to you, the floor is yours. Well, thank you for having me. I, I hope everything is fine now. And I'm sorry for the uh, brief technical problems that we, we had. So. Uh, thank you for having me. As, as uh, Patricia mentioned, uh, uh, digestive cancers uh, represent a really a growing uh, burden in Europe. Uh, with the Europe's Beating Cancer Plan and the uh, mission on cancer, I think we have a, a, a really a huge opportunity to make a, a really a difference on this uh, on these cancers. Um, in my opinion, through prevention and early detection uh, we, and also improved treatments, uh, we can definitely reduce both the prevalence and the death uh, of uh, digestive cancer, the death rates. Uh, but in order to do so, in my opinion, but also uh, from UEG and uh, um, all the research community that we have, uh, research is key because we, uh, 
this, uh, we can really improve our way of um, screening, detecting, and fighting cancer. First of all, I would like to start with pancreatic cancer. Uh, we heard from Zorana, we heard from, uh, from Patrizia. Um, we, we know the terrible numbers that uh, are, um, uh, you know, uh, provided by um, the uh, uh, European societies in terms of the uh, deadly disease with uh, limited treatment options. Pancreatic cancer is really aggregating dramatic figures in terms of a number of cases, uh, uh, survival rates, uh, and also the forecast for incidence and survival in upcoming years. Uh, we have to think about that pancreatic cancer it will be, by 2030, the second deadly cancer in Europe. So uh, we have to think about that the high mortality of pancreatic cancer is uh, uh, mainly attributable to the insidious onset and, of course, the lack of optimal tools that we, we have in our hands right now for early detection. And also, the cancer is a, really an aggressive tumor biology and it really poorly uh, responds to, uh, to chemotherapy. So, in my opinion, uh, on early detection, we should really aim to establish algorithms for those populations at high risk for developing pancreatic cancer. We, we heard from Zorana, uh, you know, familiar pancreatic cancer, chronic pancreatitis, new onset diabetes, uh, um, those with, uh, you know, some lesions in the, uh, in the pancreas. And then, of course, uh, uh, we have to think about moving from uh, the technologies that we have to next generation technology. The currently available uh, imaging technologies are really unable to detect, you know, the microscopic lesions. Um, and so um, we, we have to provide new biomarkers for the presence of lesions or malignancies at an early stage that, in my opinion, are for, you know, uh, a key strategy uh, for early detection in high-risk populations. And ideally, these biomarkers uh, are, uh, should be obtained uh, through minimally invasive procedure that can be like a liquid biopsy from, you know, uh, bodily fluids. Also, we need to uh, refine our imaging methods, uh, including, you know, molecular imaging, radiomics, and digital pathology. And these approaches can really have an impact in uh, detecting the precancerous lesions. Now, we heard also for uh, regarding gastric cancer, uh, further studies on uh, non-invasive markers should be facilitated. Serum pepsinogen levels, for example, and other blood markers could help identify you know, the individuals at increased risk. Also, we have uh, data on volatile markers in, in the breath that could be used uh, in the future. And as far as colorectal cancer, of course, uh, you heard uh, from Patrizia, uh, this is my main interest uh, from a rich, rich, uh, research standpoint. Um, it's, you know, um, burden in terms of in, uh, incidence and uh, mortality really needs uh, research funding to the next level. It has really a different history uh, than pancreatic cancer with uh, screening programs that have already been implemented in many countries in, in Europe, but we are still lacking screening programs in, a, in several areas in Europe. Um, and uh, nevertheless, uh, in those countries where uh, screening has been, you know, um, uh, um, uptaken, we have seen a reduction in incidence and mortality. 
but uh, in, our, in my opinion, embedded research to quantify incremental benefits and arms between different colorectal cancer screening tests and applications should be really an integral part of colorectal cancer screening programs. Also, including the uptake of screening that is offered by the population. We are still uh, having problems in having the population undergoing um, uh, undergoing coronal cancer screening. Also, we need to further develop uh, uh, risk-based coronal cancer screening algorithms in order to personalize the coronal cancer screening in the future. So uh, we, we also uh, identified further general needs to turn the tide of digesting cancer through prevention. Of, uh, we, we have to think about that we need to uh, 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 take a real uh, uh, close look at the unhealthy behavior and the aging population. That really is becoming an issue. Uh, for coronal cancer, we have uh, early onset coronal cancer that is rising in, uh, in several areas in, uh, in Europe, uh, as much as it has been risen uh, in the United States. And this is mostly driven by unhealthy behavior. And so we have to focus on this. We have to research more on this. And of course, we are welcoming, you know, several programs in which we can use, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, screening, early detection, and the treatment of the, the digestive cancer, the mission of cancer, the innovative health initiative, the cluster on health. These are all, you know, in the direction of uh, leading new research to uh, uh, fighting digestive cancer. And of course, uh, uh, this goes hand in hand with better prevention strategies. And of course, we are welcoming the Europe's beating cancer plan um, uh, as much as, uh, as you know, we, we heard from the other speakers. And I would like to thank you very much for having me today and discussing these issues with all of you. Thank you very much indeed, Luigi, and thank you to our speakers. I should note that, unfortunately, Sarah Cheras had to leave us due to parliamentary commitments, so is not taking part in this onward discussion, but I still want to remind our audience that you can ask speakers questions by using the chat box. I see we have a couple coming in already. But first of all, Patrizia, let me ask you about the degree to which digestive cancer is risk lifestyle related. I mean, how do we assess this sort of risk? How do we measure it? And then what sort of primary prevention measures can really make a difference? Uh, this is um, an important question. Uh, let's say that so there are several studies, epidemiological studies, uh, that have confirmed in the last years the association with some uh, uh, lifestyle and, and, and cancer. Let's say something about uh, uh, liver cancer that I'm, I'm more familiar with. Uh, we have that uh, the risk for um, liver cancer are mainly due to the uh, virus infections. That is uh, well known, so it means that you have to pay attention to the infection of hepatitis B, hepatitis C. And that's so all the risk factors can be related to the uh, risky uh, habits to get the infection that we see more frequently in the, uh, uh, in the um, IV uh, injection, uh, drug injection, um, and uh, in the high-risk population. Uh, the second uh, uh, risk factor more related to the lifestyle can be, can be due to the, uh, uh, to the obesity. And in fact, uh, we have now that uh, the disease that is called uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the theatosis of the liver due to the 
mainly um, related to the obesity, is strongly associated with the risk of cancer. And, uh, and not only the liver cancer, it's also been demonstrated that obesity is, is linked to the pancreatic cancer. So that now we started really to see that there is the cancer risk when you have a different lifestyle. And uh, I would say that the population in the United States is growing up uh, in terms of uh, a distribution of this osteoarthrosis. Even 50% of in some areas are obese. Fortunately, we still have 25% uh, of the European people with steatosis, but still we have to work much more in advance to avoid to have uh, this, uh, uh, this population at higher risk of liver cancer, pancreatic cancer. Thank you, Patricia. I'm going to take a question from our audience now. It's directed specifically to you, Kiron, but it's also dealing with this topic of liver cancer. Ioana Nedelcheva is asking about the new Knowledge Centre, and she's saying you mentioned on the new guidance, uh, including colorectal cancer. Have you planned this guidance for liver cancer, and what are the benchmarks to start working on such guidance? Thank you, uh, Joanna, for the question. And to be very, very direct, no, not at the moment. We are following the uh, European Council recommendations for screening, diagnosis and care. Uh, the 2003 recommendation has specifically addressed at population-based level breast, colorectal and cervical cancers. And now that Council rec recommendation is being revised and it looks like, uh, not confirmed yet because it's coming out this year, that uh, lung, prostate, and gastric cancers will be will be added, but indeed, what we're what we're looking at here is, uh, in a way, a best practice when it comes to developing and implementing using quality indicators, quality assurance schemes, uh, improvements from screening, diagnosis, and the whole way through. So, typically, any guidelines and any recommendations we come up with will echo through the other main cancer sites, and liver cancer is indeed a major major issue and when it comes to, for example, alcohol consumption, you heard recently from the speaker that due to rising obesity, that is also uh, liver cancer cases are going up. But in any case, uh, front of pack labeling, and we're, we're working a lot on that for people to be aware. Uh, alcoholic beverages, for example, containing above 1.2% are somehow immune from uh, transparent labeling when it comes to nutritional aspects. This is something we're looking at too. Uh, many aspects, also processed foods, etc. A key element, of course, again, is, is, is lifestyle uh, and behavior, uh, something that maybe we've forgotten due to the evolution of uh, technologies. And now with remote working, we typically spend too much time maybe sitting, uh, not enough movement, uh, exposure to green environments. We've now proof that exposure to green environments are good for both mental and physical health. And, and again, simple basic diet. So yeah, these are some factors, but uh, to come to, uh, to, to conclude the question, the best practices are there. And for liver cancer, uh, yeah, we're not working on it directly, but maybe down the line we shall do. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. And you've given me a, a very nice segue into our next question, which is also from an audience member. Uh, Martina Pirota is asking, do you think enough is done to alert the public about the direct link between alcohol and digestive cancers and to counter the influence of the alcohol industry to prevent effective alcohol legislation? I think she's mentioning there on labelling, on nutritional information and health warnings. So Anna, maybe you could have a look at that or, or tell us what you think about these other measures. As, as Kieran mentioned, labelling is, is only one. Uh, this is all work in progress and we will see the impact of, of these actions in the coming years. 
But also, as I said, I think it's important that we understand what is it that will make somebody's behavior change. Because unfortunately, we, uh, we see too many smokers uh, that understand what are the risks of smoking and still smoke. It's the same with obesity. It's the same with uh, unhealthy lifestyle. So I think that we have to tailor the educational campaigns in order, in order to, to motivate people, you know, to put them... To, to say you are in control of your life, you know, do something. So I think for us as, as patient organizations and as patients, it's about reaching to the, this target population. And I think the same applies to screening because in, in so many countries, there are screening programs for colorectal cancer, yet the uptake is not at the satisfactory level. So I think we have to educate and motivate those populations to, to take action. Well, just as a follow-up question to that, Soana, I mean, what, from a patient perspective, are the barriers to effective screening and how do we empower patients themselves? When it comes to, to barriers and, and screening, uh, I think that... Um, there are several programs that are doing very well when it comes to colorectal cancer screening in Europe, a uh, couple of countries, uh, and I don't want to name and shame, so I will not mention, but I think we should learn from those programs to understand how are they doing, how are they inviting citizens uh, to screening. Uh, because very often we hear from the patients that reach out to us, they say, oh, yes, I have received the test and, you know, I didn't act. And then some friend reached, reached out to me and said, you know, why didn't you do the test? So I, I think we, and those countries that are doing well, that are performing well, obviously are doing something very well when it comes to reaching to their patient population. Then it is about the convenience of the test, uh, whether the test is being delivered in mail, who is inviting the participants for screening, uh, whether they need to uh, go in some countries, they need to actually go to pick up the test. And here I'm talking about the, the FIT test, not about uh, colonoscopy. So, you know, it's very convenient when the test comes in your mailbox and you just send it away. Uh, and I think that one should look through all the steps that are happening in those uh, in a specific screening program and analyze them and learn uh, I, I think that we are not sufficiently using the data uh, and uh, i'm really looking forward to everything that kieran mentioned and also uh, the commissioner kiriakides about Kiran, I think you had something to add as well there. Yes, thank you, uh, Jennifer. Yeah, what Zarana mentioned there about the behavioral aspect, and I'd just like to mention, if we would just, let's, let's take a step back and look at the bigger, the bigger picture here. We're talking about non-communicable diseases that are causing between 80 and 90% of deaths in Europe and even worldwide. So if pushing the aspects of risks and health and disease and all these aspects is not having the effect it's having, maybe, maybe we should see how important is it to feel good, well-being, what we call well-being. 
if 85, 90% of us are dying from these diseases, that means most of us are probably already toxic. That means not feeling as good as we should feel. That means not thinking as clearly as we should think, not sleeping as well as we should sleep, not moving as well as we could, and every little thing is an effort. Uh, how can that impact our daily lives if we would feel better? And I'm just wondering, it's just throwing it out there. Um, we seem to somehow silently accept all this. Uh, it was mentioned that people know the, the uh, side effects and potential risks from smoking. I'll be here said, but, but continue on. It's my right. I'm free to do that. Uh, fair, great. You know, we are free, but how important is it to feel good? I just wanted to add that in there that that's an aspect of what we call behavioral insights or that we should be maybe considering. And that could change society as we know it. Just wanted to add that. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. Indeed, it is one of those levers which could be a, a pressure point to change things for the better. Luigi, let me come back to you. I, I have a couple of questions for you, and I know you've wanted to add something yourself. And I want to look back at this idea of the Europe's Beating Cancer Plan and to what extent that's going to change how research is involved. Are researchers or healthcare professionals sufficiently involved in these sorts of policy decisions? Um, I'm happy to hear your thoughts on that as well as everything we've discussed so far. that are really the focus of uh, our uh, cancer uh, prevention strategies, also treatment, uh, but also uh, an engagement from all the stakeholders that are involved in, uh, in, uh, um, in dealing with, uh, with cancer in general. So in my opinion, we have to look uh, at this as a huge opportunity. We have to embrace all together. We need to... Uh, uh, strengthen the collaboration. We need to make sure that everybody is going to be involved. Um, there is also a huge, uh, you know, it, it's re it, it is really important to have the public engagement. The populations need to, to be uh, aware of uh, um, what can be done. And together, in my opinion, we can achieve really the goals uh, that we are setting. Luigi. Patrizia, I think you wanted to add something on the, the importance of education. Yes, uh, uh, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, uh, just to give you an example, um, before the COVID, uh, I spent uh, um, Saturday morning at school, uh, as I used to do since 20 years for the education and alcohol consumption. And I dedicated that, uh, let's say, uh, just a talk with the kids uh, in order to explore what they knew about the ultra-processed food, about the healthy food. So there was a, they had a break, a 15, 15 minutes break. They were all together, there were five school classrooms, there were 120 more or less. So I asked them, now you had a break, how many of you had a fresh fruit, an apple, a pear, a banana? And so raise your hand. So there were three out of 120. Or uh, there were another five kids that had a sandwich from home, and all the other kids, it means 100. They were really taken from the, uh, uh, from the machine that distributed the, the, the different, uh, different kinds of auto-processed food. So I think we should really uh, concentrate our, our resources also on education of kids at school. Of course, maybe it's not directly uh, our task in terms of medical doctors, but we can contribute. But we have to launch this message in the European level 
with different, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, sensibility from different countries. But that should be a target for everyone. We need, uh, and also for the patients' uh, association, we need also to think that uh, to, to, uh, to change a lifestyle, we have to start from the adolescence. So that is my really strong wish and message. Thank you. Zoana, did you want to, Zoana, build on that a little bit from the point of view of education? That we know of from Portugal, similar to what Patricia mentioned, and this was a, a campaign, educational campaign, uh, performed by one of our member organization, uh, Europa Colon Portugal. Uh, what they did is they went into uh, schools educating systematically children from, I believe it was around 10, 12, uh, 9 to, to 12 years uh, in order uh, about healthy lifestyle, about, you know, tailoring the messages to, to this specific population. Uh, and I think the results that they had are really difficult to measure because in order to do so, we need to conduct uh, a study. Uh, but but I think that this is something that should be implemented across the EU in a systematical way, this uh, education on healthy lifestyle, on choices among uh, young population. I think that peer education is very uh, important in, uh, in, in young uh, adults or in, in children, uh, and that they learn much better if there is a message coming from somebody who is at their own age, uh, explained obviously in a way that they understand. And also I want to say that uh, over the years uh, that I have been working for Digestive Cancers Europe, uh, we did numerous awareness campaigns outside with big inflatable colon. And this is when usually the children come first and visit the colon and walk through it and they start speaking uh, about uh, obviously not colorectal cancer but about something that can, can be prevented so maybe this is also the way to reach out to adult population by educating young generations in schools and to do it in a systematical way thank you uh, and and it sounds indeed like a quite a fun way as well for kids to be honest the idea of a big inflatable colon to maybe engage the young at heart as well of those of us who are older luigi i know you wanted to talk about prevention and i i want to give you the floor to do that but i also want you to add in because we can't have a healthcare conversation these days without reflecting on the impact of the pandemic and i'm wondering whether there's any silver lining from a prevention point of view or or any lessons learned that we could take on board as well the extended lockdowns, uh, um, we have actually been able to quantify what the effect of the pandemic and the lockdowns uh, uh, had in terms of uh, delaying of screening and how that would pan out in the future in terms of mortality. And uh, with uh, actually, we, we were our group uh, was one of the first to quantify this effect uh, and uh, for um, delays uh, above six months, we would see an increase in the, um, you know, uh, late stage diseases, which are less treatable, 
And of course, then we quantify that with uh, an extended delay by 12 months, uh, uh, we would see also increased mortality rates by five, five years or by, you know, uh, 12%. So, um, of course, there, has been, there have been several ways of mitigating the effect, but we still, we still saw, you know, a carryover because, of course, uh, um, the populations uh, were uh, piled up in terms of delay. Um, we will have better figures, of course, as Zorana was mentioning, uh, um, several ways of mitigating, mitigating the pandemic, uh, you know, the pandemic effect was on, uh, uh, you know, delivering the screen test through the pharmacies, uh, getting the pharmacies involved. But uh, we have to think about ways of not breaking down the chain. In my opinion, uh, um, prevention of highly impacting diseases should be still uh, on a different path, uh, still ongoing, uh, and the policymakers need to work very hard on finding ways of not breaking down the chain while things like COVID-19, but maybe in the future, I hope not, knocking on wood, there won't be, you know, any other pandemic, but we need to be prepared for situations like this, indeed. And Thank I you, Luigi. Add... Yeah, of course. Yeah. I United States, there has been an increase of uh, early onset coronal cancer cases, and we are registering these cases in Europe as, as well now especially in Northern Europe, uh, in, some, in the UK, in uh, some areas of France. Um, in the United States, early onset coronary cancer, which is the cancer happening be, uh, you know, before the age of 50, is now 10% of all cases. And of course, this has a lot to do not with genetics. Uh, usually we, we find cancer below the age of 50, but this has to do with the quick and sustained uh, introduction of, you know, lifestyle changes that have been very disruptive, in particular, uh, you know, obesity, uh, but also, you know, the use of uh, Western diet. And this is, a, we have models now, we have a lot of data on this, uh, that if you uh, become obese at the age of uh, 12, you tend to stay obese, and that, that is a huge risk of having early onset coronal cancer also. If you eat, you know, Western diet uh, when you are adolescent, uh, uh, as compared to Mediterranean diet, you are at much higher risk. Now, this is something that is coming to Europe. We are not registering this in Italy as yet, but we have to be prepared. It's like, you know, being prepared for the next pandemic. We have to be prepared. We need to work at the school level. Kids have no idea that, that alcohol is really bad for cancer. Uh, and so um, there is a lack of knowledge about this. And of course, we need to work with the, with the kids. We need to work with the families. And, uh, and I think there is time uh, still to do something very positive in terms of uh, preventing early on saccharidal cancer from happening in Europe as well. Well, thank you very much. Um, Kion and Patrizia, I want to come to both of you again before we go into a wrap-up phase. Just to reflect a little bit on the impact of the pandemic as well and, and what sort of lessons may have been learned or what lessons you think we should learn. Kieran, I'll give the floor to you first. Thanks. Uh, when it comes to non-communicable diseases in general and also on cancer. Uh, so some of the cases that have been missed or maybe not haven't been found yet or are being found now. 
So I think what we need to learn from that is preparedness and being able to respond in case of crisis. Uh, we're going in a direction of personalized medicine. Uh, that means also personalized screening. We talked earlier about the fecal immunological testing. This is a test that can be performed at home, basically. Uh, it's not as if all screening, uh, let's say screening activities can be performed in the home, but I think healthcare systems, which are already overburdened, the hospital became a dangerous place to go to during the pandemic. Uh, so it was a catch-22 situation. It was terrible in terms of communicable and also non-communicable diseases. Both were hit with the same hammer, basically. So there, I think we need to be innovative, thinking where we can outsource uh, so for home testing, also connecting digitally, for example, for other diseases like cardiovascular disease, whatnot, this is the future. And with digital technologies and European health data, this will be coming our way. So I think we need to keep keep it simple. Uh, always look to see certain cases. Well, in that case, you know, uh, we could screen effectively even if this or that happened. Preparedness is a key issue, and I think we need, uh, and we have learned from that, there are actions at EU level addressing that. Uh, even certain groups were set up to address that specifically. But I think that needs to be rolled out and put in place. It will also reduce the burden on healthcare systems and on hospitals as, as it is, because healthcare systems were already on the brink of collapse in, in many uh, regions, whatnot, throughout Europe. And then with the pandemic, we, we saw what happened. It was terrible. So yeah, I think uh, we definitely have to now put what we've learned into action. That's That's the key. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. And of course, we were almost at the end of the discussion, but I am glad you at least mentioned digital technologies because we know, of course, that innovation and new ways of doing things and sharing information can also help with the preventative process. Uh, Patricia, I think you, you had some elements you wanted to develop from our conversation, including on alcohol and so on. Epidemic that we need really to use these tools uh, and to use a different, uh, uh, um, let's say, telemedicine. However, if uh, you also said that we needed to make it simple, and that's why we need also to consider some alternatives, since not all patients will be able to uh, use the tool of uh, the telemedicine. Talking about the too young or too old. Uh, the elderly uh, population. That said, for example, we are trying to evaluate the simulation medicine, means that you are making, making for the medical doctors to learn how to proceed with different kinds of medicine, also with the simulation, and I think it works. It's simple, it's easy, it is affordable for everyone, and that, that thing is, is just to follow your, your, your discussion about the digital, uh, digital tools. Yeah, and lastly, really, Jennifer, that's uh, just to uh, what Zorana said about uh, also the market that we have to evaluate the education. Uh, let's say we started nearly 30 years ago in Italy, there was uh, too many deaths due to alcohol consumption and liver disease and liver cirrhosis and deaths. We started uh, when we were young uh, with our group of uh, medical doctors all around in Italy to go to the schools and teaching. Of course, it's not only that, but for the first time after 20 years, we have seen a declining consumption of alcohol in the overall population, declining the death due to alcohol consumption. Uh, despite the fact that uh, we have still a high risk population and again are the population between 9 and, and, and 13 years old, so the adolescents. So I think that despite we do not have the biological market, but we have uh, maybe after 10 years, after 20 years, some results in terms of the consumption, if you want really to see 
that uh, the action uh, uh, in the target that the, the, the children is, 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 uh, is, uh, can be seen, can be seen, can be reported. Thank you, Patricia. Well, I think uh, possibly we've, we've just got a few minutes left, so I'd like to hear from each of you um, a short sort of a point on what you think might be the levers. I know Kira mentioned that, that we could use certain pressure points to, to change policy at an EU level or a national level to see better prevention strategies. So, um, Zorana, is there a particular challenge that you would focus on where you think there might be some low-hanging fruit as, in terms of a success? Or do you have a message for policymakers about what more they need to do in a specific area? I'll give you the floor first and then hear from each of our other speakers about what your final takeaway is. Be and I think that uh, Kieran mentioned that implementation. So there are great initiatives at the EU level. Let's implement them at the member state level. And this is what we will focus together with our 40 national member organizations. Obviously, not all of them are coming from the EU. But this is what we will be working really hard to implement all these great initiatives and also uh, let's learn from each other. Let's uh, work together because uh, only by doing this, we can see fewer people suffer from digestive cancers. Uh, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you very much, Sarana, for your perspective. It has really helped to, to broaden our understanding of the issue and I think for the audience at home as well. Luigi, over to you to give us your final thoughts. What do you think might be a key challenge or a key solution? Uh, what's your takeaway? Uh, new ways of early detecting uh, digestive cancer, as we were discussing, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, colorectal cancer, gastric cancer. We need to, uh, to have more research, more funds directed towards these diseases, but not only. There are other uh, other type of cancer that, of course, need to be uh, um, uh, directed to. And I also agree with uh, uh, Kieran about implementation. So there are ways of uh, 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 providing new research, in my opinion, uh, to strengthen implementation, to broaden you know, the uptake of, of screening. And so uh, the policymakers need to make you know, digestive cancers in their hearts and priorities in terms of boosting research on these issues. Thank you. Kieran, uh, your final thoughts to uh, close out our discussion? Uh, thank you, Jennifer. The member states to implement, but I do believe that now the time is right to, to go in that direction. These essential levels need to be implemented and monitored. We can demonstrate when we implement a screening program and show how effective it is. As Rana gave the example about incidents of colorectal cancer in a certain country, it is possible to, to go there. And my last message is uh, citizens' empowerment. I think every citizen should be encouraged to take their own, you know, there's, there's an old expression. It's like prevention is better than cure. It was also a very old one. I remember using it as a kid saying the best doctor is the patient. I think people before they become patients should take that to heart, look at that and this thing of feeling good and doing what suits you best. Uh, I think that's really important. So citizens empowerment, uh, you know, patient, uh, patient 
power in a way is really, really important to look at that. There are the messages from my side. I want to say thank you to all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Kieran. Patricia, you opened this discussion part of today's event by setting out why it was necessary to do something. Give me your key takeaways, your wrap up. Tell us a bit about what sort of action you see needed for the future and when and how we should be doing that, just to, to give us a final uh, a viewpoint um, from the perspective, of course, of UEG. Yes, uh, thank you, Jennifer. I think, uh, as, uh, as I said during my presentation on behalf of UEG and uh, my position as a chair of the Public Affairs uh, Committee uh, of UEG, I believe that we have to work on the awareness. And it was nice to see that Sorana reported a different amount of awareness related to a different kind of cancer with a specific day for the Pancreatic Cancer Day. And I believe that there's so much still to do. And coming back again, what Stella said, that we are stronger together. So let's put together the efforts at different levels, uh, where medical doctor, organization, scientific organization, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, you will really help us very much. And we have to go in the same direction together, putting resources and try to give to all the population a clear message to the citizens, also to the patient for the secondary prevention, but to stay together to, to, to give a clear message and try to reach all different countries in Europe. Accessibility to the patient should be really another another target of our. Thank you, Patricia, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, indeed, for your participation in today's discussion. Also wish to thank MEP Tayani and Commissioner Kiriakides for their addresses at the beginning, highlighting what an important issue this is as part of Europe's Beating Cancer Plan. Thank you to the audience for your questions, and I will encourage you that you can keep this conversation going online. Do follow the hashtag Digestive Health Month, and you can also follow the account my underscore UEG if you want to learn more and keep the conversation going about this. But with that, I'll wish you a happy and healthy lunch if you're on European time and a great rest of the week.